You finally decided to learn how to ice skate, so you ordered the essentials every aspiring ice skater needs. A nice pair of blades, a shiny new helmet, and a good set of knee pads. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping, which you put those rewards towards an essential piece of post-skating recovery, a heating pad. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding to apply now. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and live from my hotel room in Los Angeles from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. Very nice hotel here, Beverly Hilton. Not trying to name drop, but G14 life, man. Look at you balling. I show up. I'm kind of, you know, futzing around in the self parking because, you know, guys like me, we can't afford the valet. What do I see but you pulling up in the white Lamborghini? doors raised this si sports person life must be nice andrew this award show life must be really nice it's what we do man this is how we live this is the the side of sports writing that people don't see very often Yeah, no kidding so when you're making that decision white lamborghini versus yellow lamborghini versus black red i mean what goes through your mind when you're at you know i don't even know where you get those the this hurts (laughs) does gold plus rewards have the lambos or it's not really a decision The, the solution is to get all three. Oh, and that's that's how we. I don't know how long, how much longer I can keep this running, but um, yes, we are in Los Angeles. We're here for the SI Sports Person Awards, which, by the way, everyone out there should watch. They are Thursday night, December thirteenth at nine p.m. Eastern. Uh, they will honor John Cena, uh, Aaron Donald, Alvin Kamara. Rachel Denhollander and the Golden State Warriors, who were the sports person of the year. I'm not sure how a team can be sports person of the year, but they do definitely deserve some recognition. So Thursday night, check it out. I mean, aren't you just going to come out with your real hot take, which is they should have just given it to Steph? I don't know why they didn't give it to Steph. (laughs) I was not consulted at any point in the process. I think that would have been my advice. And it was also Steve Kerr's advice for anyone who read Chris Ballard's story. Chris Ballard's piece was great. It was was awesome. But I also think it foreshadowed Durant leaving Golden State because it was like a 12,000 word piece. And I think Durant was mentioned like three times. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things. The more people you talk to around the team... Like, it seems like everybody sort of agrees that that's where this is headed. So I'm sure that he got the sense that Durant was kind of in a weird place with them. And so So he he just just sort of sidestepped it. it. Yeah, (laughs) he just went for the other personalities. It's a great piece that Chris wrote. I mean, it talks about Steph's personality, uh, Draymond's, Kerr's, Lakeup's, a little bit of clay in there, too. And then, of course, Durant as well. I mean, it really just covers how this dynasty is able to sustain. I think it's a really interesting point because when you look around the league right now, Houston, Boston, some of these teams that have started off slow, had real ruts, you know, spent portions of this season under 500, even on Golden State's bad days or their bad months, they're still wiping teams off the court on a regular basis. And obviously some of that is talent, but a lot of it is culture and personalities. And I think Chris did a really nice job of taking like, you know, the the altitude approach, the 10,000 feet approach of like what's happening specific to the Warriors that other teams haven't caught on to yet or that other teams may be mastered in different eras and how they're applying it here in the modern era. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a very impressive uh, piece and also just an impressive organization. So well, look, how do we... T- <laughs> I, want, I want to go plug for plug here because if we're just going to start off talking about, okay, you know, Sports Illustrated, uh, Sportsman Award Show and all this, 
I've got a new newsletter, Andrew, because I was thinking I've got to be in people's brains every direction, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And the one thing I'd never done was a newsletter. So if you go to my Twitter page, there's a link. You can sign up for my newsletter. It's weekly. I won't spam you, I promise. But there's a unique content that I would only goes you did. there. How oh. about you? Can you release the newsletter every day of the week? <laughs> I could do one specifically <laughs> for you as long as you subscribe. But you don't have to be a Washington Post subscriber for it. Uh, just as a tease, the first issue that I did has a little reflection on the Milwaukee Bucks trade, what that, what message they're sending to Giannis by making that trade at this point, right before free agency, uh, and all the big guys who are coming up next summer. So go to my Twitter, find the link, type in your email address. It takes 30 seconds max. I would appreciate it. I'm actually pretty excited. I really enjoy Tom Ziller's newsletter every morning. and uh... I'm ripping his off completely. <laughs> Whatever he's done that's worked, I'm taking. No, I'm kidding. I mean, there's I like Mark Stein's too. There's some good newsletters, and I think like there's a news a newsletter generation. My dad's like way deep into the newsletter game. Interesting. Uh, and so he actually subscribed. I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not part of the newsletter generation and I don't really understand you the are push now. for newsletters, but sure, I will hop on the Gulliver newsletter bandwagon. It's for the professional people who aren't deadbeat writers who get to sit at home all day on Twitter. It's like, okay, if you're not on Twitter <laughs> here's 24 seven, here's what you need to know. That's what we're going for. There's also a little like weekly, like, you know, night by night preview. So for example lakers seat tonight we're both going to that game yeah just so happens to be lebron versus Dwayne wade did you know what their record is in regular season head-to-head matchups during their career no because i haven't subscribed to your newsletter yet well you will and then you will find <laughs> out andrew they're 15 and 15 so the game tonight is the ultimate rubber match for lifelong bragging wow. rights wow that kind of stats in the newsletter i'm gonna pretend to care about that for the sake of the show <laughs> <laughs> but um let's move on here actually Real quick, before we jump into Bulls, because they are a complete shit show, right? Things now. are going great in Chicago. It's <laughs> going com- very, very the well. Polar opposite of the Warriors. Um, you just love it when a team fires a coach and their season turns around instantly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, seriously. The dead cat bounce not really taking shape for Jim Boylan. Um, but no, what did you think of that Bucks trade, real quick? Um, I mean, basically, they are unloading two guys who weren't really playing uh, major minutes in the rotation, Della Vadova and Henson, and getting themselves in a position where they have all that money that they're going to be able to spend on the guys who they do need to keep next summer. And I think when you're looking big picture, we've talked about Giannis Inc.'s just steady rise from project to most improved player to all-star to all-NBA player to MVP favorite over the last five years. But if you actually look at the Bucks' history as a team, it's been completely one step forward, one step back. One step forward, one step yeah. back. And they make very marginal progress along the way, but they'd make the playoffs and their defense would fall apart the next season. Uh, you know, Then Jason Kidd gets fired at some point. I mean, they really haven't sustained that positive momentum. And so what I think happened with this trade is they're looking at this sort of being their dream year and they're thinking, crap, if Middleton leaves next summer or if Bledsoe leaves next summer or if Lopez leaves next summer plus one of these other guys leaves next summer, all of a sudden... That dream season could be a fleeting thing with Giannis's free agency around the corner. Yeah. So they're trying to position themselves as best they possibly can so that they don't do that backsliding routine that they've been into. And so they can actually build on this year rather than just saying, hey, we had a cool season and, and now what? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I think you could make the argument that, I mean, if you wanted to go full glass half empty with the Bucks front office over the last four or five years, you could argue that they sort of lucked out on Giannis and Middleton and didn't even realize what they had and, and what they were getting when they 
took those guys. They traded for Middleton. And then Bledsoe was kind of a desperation move. Brogdon was kind of another sort of like needle in a haystack moment for them where I don't know how much credit they really deserve. And then a lot of the other moves have been kind of shaky in their own right. And uh, that trade for George Hill was the first time where I was like, holy shit, that was really smart, Bucks. Great work because they needed to clear money uh, down the road. And then George Hill, he's the type of dude who is better in theory than he is in practice in general. Um, And, you know, there are a couple guys, Corver is in that same category. But I do think, like, he's not going to hurt. And having him off the bench in the playoffs, that's a great option. He's going to give you more in this playoffs, most likely, than Delavadova and Henson combined. So you you win in the short term. But bigger picture, it's like... If you're trying to sell Giannis on this vision of, hey, we're going to be contenders in the small market, stick with us, forget about whatever Nike's whispering in your ear about going to a big market, but you lose Chris Middleton to the Lakers this summer, yeah. or you lose Bledsoe, Brogdon, and Lopez because you're still paying Henson and Del Vadova, you know, these, these past mistakes kind of come back to bite you. I think that's where your case to Giannis gets real slick. And let's just be really real with the audience, Andrew. You know me. I like to be really real. (laughs) If if Middleton and Bledsoe go somewhere else this summer, on July 7th, isn't our podcast topic Giannis trades? Who's going to trade for Giannis? It would happen very quickly after that. I mean, if they lose their rotation, they don't replace him, and now it's just Giannis and a bunch of you know. I don't scrap think that pieces. conversation starts until he has one year left in Milwaukee. Well, because then because wh- they're going to be so good that it's not a situation. If they're if they're losing those guys, they're not going to be so good. It's just going to be him and a bunch of cast off. It's going to be very similar to the Anthony Davis situation in New Orleans. I see no real difference. You've been trying to steal Anthony Davis from the Pelicans. <laughs> for your Celtics for three years now with no regard to when he's actually going to become uh-huh. a free agent, you would just start to do the same I don't thing know. towards Giannis. Look, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I think for now, all I wanted to say about that trade is that as a corporate officer at Giannis Inc., I've been a little bit skeptical of the uh, front office there. And that move they pulled off over the weekend was a big win. It's the type of move that helps in the, in the short term and the long term, which is sort of... It, that those those moves don't exist. That's the type of stuff that people lobby for on message boards, and they never actually happen in real life. But George Hill kind of checks every box for them right now. And uh, yeah, I, by the way, I was very impressed. Giannis, after this season, has two more years before he's a free agent, so it's not too soon. Like, no, if, I know. If, if they were to have a big time defection, and Middleton's the one that you circle because look, if their if their core group is Giannis, Bledsoe, Lopez, and Brogdon going into next season. I mean, are you saying that's going to be a 60-win team? No. I, don't, I mean, Giannis is going to be so good that they're going, to, they're going to have a really high baseline no matter who's up there. But, uh, but no, I agree with you that like if you start to lose talent, it's going to get even shakier. But um, I think that's all sort of beside the point because really the Bulls are the story right now. So let's start with Eric who says, I just want to note that the end result of the Bulls versus Tibbs fiasco was the Bulls hiring dollar store Tibbs. That is all. And Jim Boylan, man, I don't know. I mean, 
it's hard to have a, a near mutiny within the first week, but it does seem like he kind of earned it. Captain Hardass up there. So I don't really know. Where where do you want to start with this bull story? The bulls have pulled the absolute most cynical version of me out of myself right now. <laughs> I feel like this entire thing was basically orchestrated. Because if you go back to when they got rid of Hoiberg, they did it when all these guys started coming back, right? So they knew that they were going to have more talent. So they're trying to set up Boylan for the best success. Then their big spiel is he's not just an interim coach. You know, we're going to be committing him uh, to him for the long term, right? So they're trying to prop him up and give him every benefit of the doubt to sort of settle in and to coach his way and to basically like make it his team, right? And, you know, to that point, I just want to add that Jim Boylan is due less than a million dollars through next season. Fred Hoiberg is still due an additional $5 million for next season. And the Reinsdorfs have not traditionally liked spending money on the Bulls. And so that's why, like, no matter how bad this gets, I do think the Bulls are are genuinely committed to Boylan through at least the end of the year, probably next season too, because that's just the way they've run this team over the last couple of seasons, you know, the I, last 20 years. Yeah, really. I... <laughs> We'll see. I mean, the first week has been pretty I mean, rough. They didn't I, want to pay Scotty Pippen. <laughs> no, I understand that. I I wouldn't be surprised if they went a different direction with their coach, but because lo- next summer for them is a long way away. But what I'm saying is, I feel like the whole thing was orchestrated. I think he came in knowing he had the full backing in the front office, realizing what you're saying about the ownership group, and he was just like, "I am going to test my players." What it reminds me, and I'm sure it reminds a lot of other people, their freshman year joining sports in high school. We had this crazy soccer coach whose goal was to run everybody in the 90 to 95 degree heat in late August and to see if he could make people puke and to see if he could make people pass out. Now, obviously, not too long after I finished high school, he was no longer the coach because <laughs> at some point you can't get away with I those think, things, right? Yeah, we're both in our 30s. I think our generation was the last generation to have like real hard-ass coaches like that yeah. who were just like committing safety hazards on a regular basis to through august practices so my point is this boylan comes in fully empowered he's going to test his guys he knows he's going to be over the top he's not clueless he knows how the nba works when you're supposed to practice after back-to-backs which is not you're not supposed to do that when you're supposed to give guys time off how long it's supposed to go how shoot-arounds are supposed to go but i think he came in with this mentality of like i want to start a war with my players and try to inspire them to be more serious and more defensive minded why (laughs) like what end does that really achieve well you look at their guys none of them play defense i mean you i think they just have nothing to lose right it's like if yeah. you can somehow coax better i'm not saying this is good logic i'm just <laughs> okay. saying this is what <laughs> he's trying to do sure. no so i mean it's, it's a machiavellian scheme that like ends with uh a dozen reports from like chris haynes and adrian wojnarowski yeah no it ends with you shooting yourself in the foot and then you're in the er because <laughs> yeah, you're like... bleeding profusely out of your foot But I think that was sort of his goal is, okay, let's provoke and see, let's test these players, see how long they can take it. They took it for three games. The third game was the worst loss in the history of the entire (laughs) Bulls franchise. 56 points. That sounds bad, but to to be honest, it was worse. Like watching that game play out, it just, the degree of quit from all parties involved. And the other thing that I was thinking during this first week, and I realize I'm going on a little bit of a rampage here comparing him to high school coaches and all that. No, no, no. He is a high school coach. He's got them running suicides and practicing for two and a half hours. But he also reminds me of fans that might win a contest. Like, instead of getting to come out on the court and then, like, do a layup, shoot a free throw, shoot a (laughs) three-pointer, I think they let the fan come on the court, and now you get to do the rotations. Because he's subbing all five of his players out of the game at the same time and then pretending that he's Greg Popovich. That was his—that's what he— 
told people. He's like, look, Pop used to do the hockey subs all the time. I should be able to do that. And- he is, honest to God, I don't like watching sports with my dad because he has just the hottest takes imaginable. And he, he's like the original this, Captain Hard Ass. This makes a lot of sense. Now <laughs> no, we know where you get no, it from. I'm just like, Dad, kind of like, come on, take it easy. But Just he, just Edward Sr. and Edward Jr. <laughs> <laughs> throwing back a couple cold ones. Spoiling, scream, spoiling screaming at the is, TV. He's like if you gave a dad a, a chance to coach an NBA team. That's <laughs> exactly what I'm saying. It's really rough. Um so what do we think about how the players handled things? I mean, there was the group chat text message, which is just like everything I love about the NBA distilled into one tweet was Casey Johnson's report on Sunday afternoon talking about the players debating a mutiny among the group chat. Um, well, my favorite part about it is that they, they couldn't even do it right. Like they, they wanted to mutiny, but they couldn't figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> that just symbolizes like the main characters of this group, Zach Levine, Jabari Parker, like... You know, these guys who are, you know, making tons of money, they think they're, you know, a lot better than, frankly, that they are. They're kind of sensitive towards criticism, at least they have been over these last couple of years. And here they're ready to make a stand and they can't even figure out how to do it. You know what's sad is there was not a doubt in my mind. Like from the second that report surfaced, <laughs> there was not a doubt that Zach Levine was the guy leading the mutiny. I don't know what that <laughs> says about Zach Levine. I love that Lowry and Wendell Carter were... Among, I think Robin Lopez was the other one who was who was lobbying to have the, them actually show up and sort of be professional about the whole thing. Um, that makes me feel better about where those guys yeah, are headed. No, I'm, I'm sure it was a really like controversial take from Robin Lopez, just texting back to everybody. <laughs> this might not be a good idea. Let, let's do our job. Let's show up. <laughs> We're being paid millions of dollars. Let's just go see what happens. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let me read something here. For anybody who hasn't been following this story, this is from Darnell Mayberry's report on The Athletic. Uh, He says, the text started Saturday night and carried into Sunday morning. One idea that had significant support, according to sources, was the players simply not showing up to the Advocate Center on Sunday. A preliminary plan was to gather at one player's house and wait for the phones to begin buzzing. That plan fizzled because Lowry Markinen and Robin Lopez spoke up voicing their concerns about the unprofessionalism of that potential act of rebellion, <laughs> as well as the impact such a stance could have on the roster's younger, less established players. Can we just start there? This reminds me of the things that you used to read in history class about, like, the, I mean, just the words, rebellion, mutiny, of, like, sort of the, the early Americans trying to, like, you know, push back on, like, you know, the, the tea tax and all the things. <laughs> yeah. and like, how are we going to do it? And, like, they really couldn't, like, get the, you know, muster up the courage to really get the full revolution going so they wound up getting arrested and kind of prosecuted by the Redcoats and all that? You know, and the, the Bulls deserve credit because that's a hilarious idea. <laughs> like, it is something like a 15-year-old would come up with, but um, I think the the core problem and the other idea that Mayb- Mayberry reported was that the players uh, were considering walking into the practice facility and then walking out as a unified group um, as soon as Boylan walked in. The big problem for the Bulls is, is that they're not a good enough team to pull any of this off. Like, I would love to watch a documentary about a good team hiding out at one player's house and waiting for, like, 
the 88 Pistons to call, the, like Chuck Daly to call. But like, yeah, no, what was really about to happen, because you're saying that the talent isn't really there. So it's not like they were really going to freak out their bosses by not showing <laughs> yeah. up. I mean, they were going to be waiting for their phone calls to blow up saying, where are you? Where are you? What they should have been looking for was their direct deposit accounts, because I guarantee you the front office and the ownership group was just sitting there with their pen ready to go issuing <laughs> fines. <laughs> you know, how much money can we take out of your paycheck for not showing up? We're just going to suspend the whole whole team they do it yeah i mean that is sort of where this was starting to go i mean the players contacted the players association about the practice that was scheduled for sunday which I mean, by the way that's also another high school move i mean isn't that like going to the pta we <laughs> <laughs> <Kind laughs> need to step in these tests are too hard somebody call the parent teacher association yeah, and i'm a little bit unclear in, in terms of like what their protest actually would have been i mean the coach can schedule practices i think that's under his discretion uh but uh i don't know i mean question for you let's big picture this if you're hoiberg what is your response to you watch all of this unfold? How do you are you laughing? Are you, you know, hitting I think yourself you feel in the head? pretty good about it. Yeah. I, I think this does sort of paint a clear picture of sort of dysfunction that goes beyond whoever is coaching the team. And, um, you know, Robin Lopez came out and said he misses Hoiberg. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't think that is a reflection of like Boylan's intensity kind of rubbing him the wrong way. I think there was just. There are bigger issues in Chicago, and I'm writing about some of that for Tuesday and writing about the ownership side of this and, and the thread that runs through the last 15 or 20 years of Bulls teams. And, and In Phil Jackson's 738 games as Bulls coach, he never lost by 40 points. That might not surprise you. I mean, he did have a guy <laughs> named Michael Jordan, right? But there yeah. was that season when they didn't have Mike and, and so on. In Fred Hoiberg's 270 games as Bulls coach, he only lost by 40-plus points one time, and it was the game against the Warriors where they just went like absolutely nuclear earlier this season. You probably remember that, where we were starting to root for them to try to get, you know, 82 for Steph and so forth. In Boylan's third game, they lose by not only 40 points, they lose by 50 plus points. It's only happened. I think there's only been 17 teams in NBA history going all the way back to 1946 that have lost by 56 points like the Bulls did. Everybody quit on Boylan before yesterday. <laughs> well, they had been quit on here's Boylan. The thing. I don't know if it's a quitting issue. I don't know if this is an effort pride issue. I like you and I could have looked at the players they have in September and said, this team is not going to be able to guard anybody. Somebody's going to score 160 points on the Bulls. Okay, I, and I, that's I, what's happening. I don't know if it's a coaching thing or whatever. I mean, this is the team that look. Gar and Pax built. I okay, so that I completely agree with. This is a bad team, but look, is this is a fifty-six point loss bad team? I mean, no, and there, are, lose the, there are definitely sequences where you're like, okay, there's come on, there's guys. degrees to this, right? Like if they lost every game by twenty or thirty points, okay, you're sort of like the sons of the east, right? Yeah, fifty. They are the sons of the east. I mean, you you really have to go out of your way to lose by fifty-six points. That's everybody, almost like. I'm not saying they threw the game, but... No, no, no. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> like, it took effort. Boylan, in his own way, threw the game when he benched the starters, like, two minutes into the second half to send a message that still isn't really clear. I'm not sure what he was going for with that one, but, um, yeah, I don't know. The Bulls are the Bulls. It was a, it was a great story. Let's, uh, look, let's look up to the front office real quick. I mean, at what point did they lose control of the rope? When we are looking back here over the last five years... Um, they had a horrible hand dealt to them with the Derrick Rose thing. Uh, there was not really a good way to 
really, you know, manage that. Like, what are you going to do? Just throw him back out there and pray he's going to be able to play. Like at some point you had to move forward. The Jimmy situation, again, you can defend the Bulls front office on that one and just be like, look, this guy was really tough to manage, tough to deal with. Uh, they got out in front of the trade. It's a generally a smart thing to do at, at this stage of the NBA. If the guy doesn't want to be there, you have to deal and maximize his value. Uh, I didn't love the trade they got for him, but you can sort of defend their logic. I mean, is there one moment more than other that jumps out to you just sort of being like, okay, this is when the emperor had no clothes. This is when it became very clear that they just didn't have a plan or didn't know what they were doing, where internal confidence from the players who were there just soured on those guys, Garn Packs, because to me, there shouldn't be any real reason for belief among the players who are on this team that this is going to get better, right? This is not just a Boylan coaching issue because they're looking at Boylan and saying, huh, Garn Packs definitely support you on all these three-hour practices. This is stupid. I don't want to be a part of this, right? <laughs> and the smart guys, the guys with any sort of clout and leverage are going to be able to work their way out of town, right? Yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to say because on a macro level, the Bulls... A lot of what they have done has been reasonable, and some of what has happened has been beyond the control of even the front office. Um, you know, Rose's whole trajectory is one of the craziest things we've seen in the last 20 years. Jimmy Butler probably wasn't worth the Supermax, and they were going to have to give him that money to keep him. So moving on wasn't the craziest thing in the world. I think the problem, if you're talking about the Bulls, though, is that once a year, they do something that's just completely incomprehensible. And, you know, you talk about moving on from Jimmy. That made sense. I understood why they were headed that direction. The problem is that same night they made the deal and sort of and, and Pax came out and said, like, this is a new direction and we finally feel good about having a clear direction with this team. They, in the Jimmy deal, they gave up the 16th pick, which they probably didn't need to do. Thibodeau would have traded for Jimmy regardless, and they had room to kind of take advantage of his thirst. And then, additionally, they sold the Jordan Bell pick for $3.5 million to the Warriors, which is like, come on, guys. Like, that's not how you do business in 2018. And the Warriors were calling every team in the top 15 picks of the second round, and everyone told them no. But Chicago... and yeah, No, that's a really good day to circle. I mean, that's a, a major milepost. The other one that I would go back to is just the concept of the three alphas. I mean, that definitely soured me on them like as their front office in terms of them being genuine at all in terms of trying to make the team better. When you're just chasing Dwayne Wade to try to sell yeah, jerseys and you're achieve... You're trying to win the press conference. And a cheap homecoming tour. And Rondo, you know he's not going to fit with the other players you've got there. And neither one of those guys really works around Butler's strengths or like makes up for what his weaknesses might be. I mean, I think the three alphas was was really where so, they lost me for good. When I started, you know, doing my analysis, I took it up to 10 after that move because I was like, these guys are clueless. It was awful. And yet at the same time, part of me does miss the three alphas era <laughs> because remember those, there was there were 10 days where the Bulls were up on, I think it was the second seeded Celtics, maybe the first seeded Celtics, uh, but when it looked like they had a shot to beat Boston, that was a magical like 96 hours that we had there. Yeah, there was another magical week where Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler were just trashing their teammates <laughs> yeah. in every single press conference. And then Rajon Rondo had to be the voice of reason. Yeah. God. All right, and we will keep it moving. But first, Ben, today's show is brought to you by, not just to you, it's brought to everyone by Robinhood, an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. 
It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It has simple and intuitive, clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. All right, stop right there, because you always love hogging the Robin Hood <laughs> copy, Andrew. I noticed you get very excited to read these, and you should, because... The list of attributes that Robinhood brings to the table is remarkable. Let's start with the no commission fees. Lots of brokerages out there. I'm sure you've probably used some in the past. Your pre-Robinhood days, they charge you up to $10 for every trade. Robinhood doesn't do that. No commission fees. All of your money stays straight in your own pocket. You get to keep the profits. The other thing is, I mean, it's designed for mobile, Andrew. It's easy to use because it's a an app that is meant to be used on your smartphone so that you can make your wheeling and dealing stock trades at the push of your fingertips. Not to mention, they've got this incredible search feature, which allows you to make collections. So if you have a certain thing that you're very interested in, whether it's entertainment, social media, maybe it's the environment, maybe it's oil companies, whatever it might be, you can have a collection of stocks that you can track right there in the app. It's just that easy. There you go. And Robinhood is giving our listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. You can sign up now at floor.robinhood.com. That's floor.robinhood.com. And that's the thing, Andrew. People keep asking me, where can I go for the Robinhood app? And I just tell them, listen to the ad copy. It's floor.robinhood.com. That's floor.robinhood.com. Go sign up today. Yeah, get into it. And now, let's keep it moving, Ben. Jeffrey says, on the last pod, you mentioned wanting to see Kawhi and Giannis in the Eastern Conference Finals. After 25 games... What other playoff matchups would you like to see in each conference? Do you have any thoughts here, Ben? Yeah, my first thought is, I'm just curious, was there an international or national blackout of all telecommunications in Canada over the weekend? (laughs) Because if I'm not mistaken, Giannis went up there, and I think the Raptors held him under 20 and 20, right? But he got got 19 19 and 19, 19, yeah. And they had the big road win for the Milwaukee Bucks and definitely an Eastern Conference Finals preview. I was sitting around refreshing my phone constantly, had a nice long cross-country flight, just waiting for all the emails to come in from Canada, Andrew. I didn't hear from a single person. What happened? Where'd the Raptors fans go? They're usually so loud and they want the attention. They just go hiding after a loss like that. I do feel bad. I mean, we got a lot of angry feedback on our last podcast (laughs) after I came out and said, I love Kawhi. I just think that some of the same questions that have traditionally applied to the Raptors are still going to apply when we get to May and there aren't a ton of guys on that team that I trust um and so there were a lot of Raptors fans who came back and were like this is it I'm done listening to the podcast (laughs) (laughs) you guys are so full of shit and um and then they take a tough out of the bucks no they're gonna gonna be tested here over the next week They, they will have opportunities they've got a couple big games against the West. And um, if they're for real, they'll have chances to show it. Well, but- let me say this. In terms of the playoff matchups that I want to see, that's obviously number one right now. Number two... And it's number one, just for the record, it's number one because I do think that the interplay between Kawhi and Giannis is pretty fascinating in, in terms of their strengths and weaknesses. And uh, I would love to see those guys battle one-on-one for seven games. And both those teams just have really good offenses and good defenses, too. I mean, like, they're good all-around teams. I mean, yeah. And they're playing well. They're both on the rise. They both have a lot to prove. Um, you know, the storyline of, like, can Toronto give, get over the hump is really, really juicy. Like, do they want to be the Buffalo Bills here? You know, just like 
every single year we can't quite do it. I mean, that, that will drive their fan base and insane Kawhi if they don't. And is unbelievable. So it's going to be fun to watch him try to make it work. I think that matchup has everything. But I've been afraid to dare to dream up till this point. Uh-huh. We want Warriors-Lakers Western Conference Finals, don't we? I mean, isn't that the one that... I mean, if, we, if we're so, just assuming that we're writing the Rockets off, the Rockets are not going to be a contender this year in my eyes. Like, even if they pull it together, even if Chris Paul gets back to where he was last year, I just don't think they have enough at this point to be even close to that level they were last year. And so when we're looking at these other matchups in terms of, like, who do I really want to see them in a series uh, in the Western Conference Finals, it's the Thunder or the Lakers. That's the only two I see. And if we can just, you know, have LeBron pull in a Trevor Ariza, pull in a couple other, like, shady trades under the table just to boost them up a little bit, that's the most interesting matchup that I see out there. How does it work out here? (laughs) Like... I've only been in LA for a day, and so I haven't been brainwashed yet to say that the Lakers could actually make the Western Conference Finals. I started. How long do I have to be here before that becomes a real take that I believe? Well, long enough until two good teams emerge from the Western Conference, because two teams make the Western Conference Finals, and when you look at the West, you've got one team that matters, and everybody else is is a distant second, right? So. What's stopping them? It's true. I'm looking at the West here. You know, you got the Nuggets with the three seed, the Clippers and Lakers. First of all, a Clippers-Lakers first round series (laughs) would be amazing in the 4-5 spot. Um, And that's currently what we have. Grizzlies, the Blazers, the Mavs. Yeah. Here's the thing with the West, though. The standings from day to day are going to completely change. They are. You have to step back and say, okay, like, what is the storyline-wise or narrative-wise – who are the teams you want to see play the Warriors? Because the Warriors are going to be there. The teams I want to see play the Warriors in the playoffs would be the Thunder, the Nuggets, and the Lakers. Not necessarily in that order. I want to see the, the Nuggets play them because they just haven't done it yet in the postseason. I want to yeah. see what they're capable of. Obviously, there's a very rich uh, Westbrook versus Durant storyline there. If those teams meet, I just feel like the Warriors have had the Thunder's number. And if there's ever going to be an opponent where the Warriors won't coast... It's totally. going to be the Thunder. They're just going to try <laughs> exactly to right. embarrass them off the court. It would be the opposite of the Rockets series last year because they just there's something about Westbrook that yeah. brings out the pettiest side of Golden State. They want to go into Chesapeake, hear all the hate, and then just win by 30. That, exactly. That's what they want to do. That's why I think process of elimination, I think it's the Lakers. I mean, we've seen them smack the, the Blazers before. I don't think the Grizzlies are really ready for prime time. And then the other teams there, I, I don't see much of a case for them making uh, the Western Conference Finals unless you feel differently. No, you're right. You're right. And maybe it's time to start taking the Lakers more seriously than I have been because looking at the rest of the West, it is kind of a thin field. It's, It's funny. I mean, the conference has... 14 good teams and the Suns, but there's nobody who yeah. rises above the level of like pretty good. There's beyond, there's one great team, well, yeah. <laughs> 13 very good teams, and then one terrible team, right? Yeah, well, the worst team in the league out in Phoenix. Um, but yeah, maybe, I mean, look, Lakers, well, any any playoff series with the Lakers is going to be a lot of fun. I yeah. would love to watch them go to war with the Blazers for seven games. I would love to watch them try to beat the Nuggets. Um, I mean, but you also just I have, mean, there's, no matter there, what. I mean, they're always rich of storylines. I mean, like, I'm going to a Lakers heat game. I'm skipping a dinner with a bunch of Sports Illustrated people out here just because, like, I, I have to be at a Lakers game because every game they play is fun and generally much crazier than it ever should be plus you're rocking a lambo you just want to roll up to staples center valet and your little <laughs> lamborghini i i see i see you but i mean 
I think you've got the storylines not only of, okay, LeBron and Legacy, which is always going to be there for his team, but you've also got guys like Lonzo and Ingram. Do you have any idea how Lonzo and Ingram will handle playoff pressure? I don't. No. I watch them almost every single night. I could not tell you what's going to happen once they're in the postseason. You know what? And it it, it pains me as it pains me to talk about my nephew like this. Uh Uh-oh. But the Lakers with Josh Hart in the starting lineup um, in Ingram's place look a lot more natural yeah. and uh it the fit just is a lot more seamless that way are you ready to retract a lot of the things you said during the top 100 debates? no because i was still right about that it just isn't the right fit in la i think ingram is still really good and better than the 77th best player in the league or wherever you guys had him yeah, but we, we haven't seen it so far um, yeah so let me say if you could have warriors rockets part two in the western conference finals would you rather have that or warriors lakers um look my only real, <laughs> you never want the Rockets. My real nomination here is a, a, a Warriors Rockets first round series. It's sort of like a sobering life comes at you fast moment for the Rockets, and I think the Rockets would take that if you could guarantee them a playoff spot at this point. They would feel pretty good about that. That's the series where they get beat so handily that they just <laughs> trade Chris Paul as soon as possible, well, and yeah, once the summer hits, they get beat so handily that like every every take about last year's Western <laughs> Conference Finals being really like much closer than anybody acknowledges, all of those go away forever, um, which I think would be a good thing. Speaking of which, though, I mean, the, the only real loss the Rockets are dealing with this year is Trevor Ariza. Do you think the Lakers should actually consider giving up a first-round pick for Ariza? That seems like a lot. It does, I right? mean, because, one, you're not guaranteed where's that pick going to be. Um, I guess it, it would depend to me on what year it is, you know? Like, if you're punting this a few years down the road, um, where, like, LeBron's not going to be in his prime anymore, so okay yeah then i would start to think about it because that you know you, there's got to be some cost to be able to really play for it this year if i'm the lakers though like this i mean to me the start of their season has basically been an a plus like they're way ahead of where i expected it has and lebron still is you know in fourth gear a lot of the time and there hasn't been that second team really emerged they've got to feel like th- their biggest dreams whatever they came into the season expecting and i think luke walton was told me like we just want to make noise. You know, we want to get to the playoffs and make some noise. They've got a real chance to make a lot of noise right now. Yeah. And so I would be well, tempted to do that. And the first 25% of the season was always going to be pretty wonky fit-wise. And we're still seeing them try to make it work with Ingram. But given all that, yeah. I mean, to be able to come through it uh, a couple games above 500 and playing really, really well lately. So on the Ariza thing, though, it wasn't Palinka his old agent? And he's, yes, he's an L.A. guy, right? Yep. So if you're trading for him, you probably have a handshake deal of like, okay, we're going to bring you back on certain some number. And there's also the idea of like, <laughs> yeah, there's also this I thought. I love how shady the Lakers <laughs> are at this point. Well, why even talk around it? It's just true. You yeah. know, it's like if James Jones just hands you Tyson Chandler and Trevor Ariza, I mean, what else are you supposed to say about it? Here is my issue with Ariza, though. And he's in the same Corver George Hill category where like he's probably better in theory than he actually will be on the court. I, I just don't know. He would be really good with LeBron. Though. You think so? I think, I mean, he textbook lebron type player. no i know but he textbook in the sense that he was good three or four years ago like no I th- 
Textbook in the bet that like he will handle the toughest defensive uh, assignment on the wing, that he will not need touches to be happy, that he will hit the open three-pointer on the kickouts. I could his, see that being true. What I worry about— That his three-point percentage will immediately climb once he plays with LeBron because LeBron's setting him up. I worry that Houston was the best possible situation for him, and we were seeing yeah. the best possible version of aging Ariza over the last couple of years. And yeah. what we've seen in Phoenix is closer to what he actually is at this point in his career. And so, yeah, but isn't isn't LeBron and James Harden? I mean, their role within an similar, offense, yeah, very very similar, like as close as you can get. And LeBron is creating as many points by the pass, basically, as Harden would. You know, if he had better shooters, he would be right there, neck and neck, right? So, yeah, I mean, I don't I, know. I, I think you you trade the first. I don't know if you trade the first for Ariza. I, I, it's not the the pick that they're giving up that I'm worried about. I'm, okay. I'm worried that Ariza probably isn't as good as they would would need him to be. Let's say you're Magic, and you know you're skilled in the arts of tampering, and you already know you're not getting KD, <laughs> you're not getting Kawhi. You're not, you know, like the other the other yeah. top names from next summer. Do you then feel more likely to want to trade that first round pick to lock in an Ariza, betting on the idea that like you could resign him for a reasonable number, and now you now you can have more flexibility in trading an Ingram for somebody else. I was going to say one reason to maybe do it is to say, all right, we now have Ariza. Ingram is available. Why not trade for Anthony Davis in February? You know, why wait? We all see where this is headed. Come on, New Orleans. And I mean, if New Orleans is still in, let's see, where, where are they in the West here? They're in the middle of nowhere, but I, I would they're say... In 11th place, 500. I, I mean, there's an argument that Ingram is better than Ariza in a vacuum for sure. But if you're saying who's better with LeBron in this Lakers current context, yeah. there's no question, right? Yeah, okay. I hear you. The other playoff series we need is uh, Sixers-Celtics. Okay. I think that'll be pretty fun to okay. run back. And uh, yeah, we could probably have that. We'd have that for the next ten years, and nobody would complain, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and the Wizards are making a run at the eight seed, for better or worse. Uh, they're they're not, not in this conversation, Andrew. <laughs> sorry, I don't need a, any kind of Wizards playoff series at this point. Let's just bottom out, clean house, and move forward. Um, Is there any other weird like matchup in the West that you would want to see? Like anybody who you'd really like to see Memphis kind of try to like push to the limit? Or would you like to see Luka dip his toes in the postseason? I will watch every playoff series in the West because they all these teams are equally pretty good, you know? And so I think that we're going to get a lot of really entertaining matchups in the middle of the conference. Um, but it is kind of striking it seems like the top of the West has taken a step back over the past couple of years. And like, like the top of the East is just flat out more interesting. They're, the, the contenders are more compelling. Yeah, I don't see a, I don't know if I see a single contender in the East, but sure. Uh, well, all right, there's only one contender in the league right now, but I'm saying top half versus top half, well, the East wins. If you put any of these top half teams that are in the West into the East, they'd have better records than these Eastern Conference teams. That's true. But let me uh, say one random series I would like to see run back. Jazz Thunder. That was a pretty good series last year. And it would also be an interesting snapshot of like, okay, how has the league changed maybe a little bit? Like, are the Jazz still able to kind of keep the Thunder in check, their offense, like as well as they did? Is Gobert still as valuable? What do their lineups look like? Like Favors was a huge factor in that series last year. It's a great call. Is he still a huge factor or is he just like an afterthought? And you remove and then, the mellow alibi from the Thunder, you know? And you and you make them a lot better. Well, you <laughs> it's do. It's not just like a bad alibi. You do alibi. make them better, but also like 
Paul George in that series was so bad, and <laughs> he just was dominated by Joe Ingles. And I would love to see him run it back and see what they can kind of bring to the table this time. And but, then Mitchell, can he do it again? Because yeah. he was on a real ride during God, that postseason. I know, and I like. I think. That series was where I went from like Donovan Mitchell, fun young player, we'll see where this goes, to Donovan Mitchell, like next Dwayne Wade. And I think that was true for a lot of people. And this summer and and um, the first two months of the season, like we've all had to kind of sober up a little bit in terms of what his ceiling is. But another funny, it's, it's a great idea. We yeah. need that to happen. What about, I mean, I don't think the Kings are going to get there, but if they were the eighth seed against the Warriors... And then we were just treated to like a week and a half of Vlade and Vivek declarations about how like the future of the NBA is in Northern California. We got a young super team versus a, a current super team. Remember, remember how much noise they made when they won the summer league title? Like think about <laughs> what they would say if they made the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, there was a report Monday. We're recording this on a Monday afternoon and there was a report today that the Kings are trying to load up with the current roster they have to make a playoff run. <laughs> Do <so>. it. <laughs> God only knows what that's going to mean. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Bidding war for Trevor Ariza. God, Maybe that's what that means. Jazz Thunder Part 2 would be awesome. And I, I, I don't know. How do you feel about Donovan Mitchell in general right now? I was never as high on him as you were, but like there wasn't anything you could really say negatively about how he was playing. Like yeah. He was just out of control last year. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't have a real strong feeling. Like, I'm not going to bash him for having uh, you know, a so-so second year. I think it happens. And I don't think that their struggles are really his fault. I think it's mostly uh, two things. One, their schedule has been super tough. And two, they need to just embrace four out and just do that, you know, yeah. not play two bigs together. And I think that they will be in the playoff mix when all is said and done. And and a lot of the people who might be doubting Mitchell right now will probably fade from the horizon, if I had to guess. Yeah, I'm really curious because it is... I just loved watching him in those games sort of like pick apart the OKC defense and like whatever the intangibles you need to be a superstar in the NBA, Donovan Mitchell clearly has, but he also just needs to get more consistent as a shooter and they're asking him to do a ton and um, I don't, it's, it's a tough situation. I, I hope he gets some help somehow. Speaking of tough situations in the Jazz, Rudy Gobert, like, popping shots at the ref, then getting himself called for a foul on jump ball, then getting himself ejected after, like, swiping (laughs) all the cups off the table. That That was in the same category as Ingram spazzing on James Harden, where it's like, I must have missed something, but you are much, much angrier than you really should be right now. And so, you know... More power to you. Go cool down in the locker room. I'm surprised. Did, did he get fined for that? That uh, think, seems like a $25,000 Yeah, th- there was a fine. I mean, I understand his frustration, I guess, but you still shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. And, <laughs> like... That I, could I, just be the residual frustration of a, of a big man in the modern era, you know? And every now and then he's going to snap, and that's the way it is. I understand. Yeah, he's just got, like, nightmares of, like, flashes of having to, like, step out on perimeter defense and ha- hang with people and, and getting through switches, and it's just all weighing on his conscience. I hear you. Moving on, um, Devin says, Kyle Lowry has been playing exceptionally poorly in his last five games, and we know he's not happy with Raptors management. Are we seeing a textbook example of player tanking? 
Well, I want to get your take on whether you're starting to believe in my theory about player tanking, because we've had a lot of people email different case studies and candidates. It's one of the worst things you've ever done on this podcast, (laughs) because now anytime a player isn't playing well, we get people writing in asking whether he's tanking. And so I hope you're proud of yourself. Oh, of course I am. My Kyle Lowry take is very simple. If Kyle Lowry was as good as Kyle Lowry thinks he is, the Raptors would win the NBA title. But that's the that's the problem. That's their significant weakness is that he is so convinced he is better and more important that he, than he actually is mm-hmm. that that will most likely be their undoing. He has not had that honest self-assessment of how he's played in the playoffs. He does not really have the ability to see how things have unfolded from other people's perspective. And here's here's my example. He's still clearly upset about the DeRozan trade, right? Yeah. They didn't tell us blindsided DeRozan. He found out in a parking lot. I don't know. Lot. I think he was pretty clear-eyed about the whole thing where I don't blame him for not like sitting there and applauding Masai and saying, yeah, you traded my best friend, but we did get a better player. I totally understand. But he this didn't, is great. But he didn't do that. He went on Rachel Nichols' show and was like, Masai's the boss, and that's about all there is to it. And he, yeah, well, he's he was loyal like, to De- DeMar. Okay, but... Here's the thing. How could you possibly be blindsided by that trade when I, I told everyone that trade was going to happen immediately after the playoffs? He didn't make a single three-pointer. He got benched in the fourth quarter well, so here's of a why... key game and got ejected. You knew he was going to be an available trade piece. You can't be surprised that that happened. And look, that's old news, Andrew. You can't be hung up on old news. You're in the contention title like window right now. Your, your prime is not going to last forever. You have to recruit Kawhi Leonard or the team is not going to be nearly as good yeah. next year as it is this year. You have other priorities, Kyle. You can still say, I genuinely miss DeMar, but I'm also moving on with my life. He hasn't moved on with his life and he hasn't held himself accountable for how he's pay- played in the playoffs. That's true. That's true. And I, I kind of, I, I misspoke. The true clear-eyed way to approach all this would be to say, look, we had a chance to make the finals three years in a row and we completely fumbled it away. And this is the way the NBA works. You know, when you come when you come up empty over and over again, there are consequences. And that would have been a better answer. And also, I mean, he still could have said, look, I'll be loyal to DeMar for the rest of my life. That's the way it goes. Um, as far as the Maasai thing, I think some of his frustrations are understandable because Maasai was definitely trying to trade Lowry too. And, I don't blame him for that either. Masai I mean, was trying to trade him because he's getting old, and but, he's but see, not the same player he was a couple years ago, and he's not player tanking. He's player okay. aging. Okay, so forget <laughs> about the player tanking side of things. I agree with you. Masai was trying to trade him. That would probably be annoying. But Kyle responds to it like he's LeBron or Kobe, and these things are happening to him. Like, how could you ever, ever consider it? And he, he talks down to the media. You have to then consider, though, what he's done for that franchise What's he in done? Toronto. He's helped put them on a map, on the map, and Which make map? them su- successful, more successful than they've been at any other point in franchise history, and sustainable success. He's helped build a culture up there. I mean, to them, he is kind of a, a LeBron, Kobe type, and a foundational superstar. 
I just and remember him being that's injured. That's kind of sad relative to what LeBron well, and Kobe did. But, I mean, I just know. remember him being injured in half the playoffs. I mean, I think I would give DeMar more of that foundational credit than I would give to Kyle. I mean, when Kyle was in the Western Conference. I he, like Kyle Lowry. I'm not going to sit here and trash no, Kyle Lowry. Look, he's really good. I'm just saying he's not as good as he thinks he is. He puts himself in that like top five player category. He's also down to, been the heartbeat of the most successful stretch the Raptors have ever had. Well, he's been so. the heartbeat of a limp body in the postseason. Oh, boy. All right. See, this is why I didn't. <laughs> I tried not to do this question but ben insisted we did it Uh, in Um, in all seriousness just final thought on that he also talks down to the media there in toronto they're sick of it okay i've heard from the people there he is so chippy and just unnecessarily his whole pouty persona with reporters is really not a great look there's no need for it you're not good enough to be doing that and you may have been good enough two years ago three years ago when your best year when you're a top 10 type player a few years ago but i don't think he's there this year and I think if I was a Raptors fan, I would be looking right at Lowry and saying, buddy, you're a huge part of the case to try to convince Kawhi uh, Leonard to stay here. You need to be pulling your weight and getting in line. You yeah. Know? You need to be doing every single interview about how great Kawhi is, what a transformational player Kawhi is, how you want <laughs> Kawhi to come back, how beautiful Toronto is. That's your job right now. Stop being hung up on your 2016 BFF. Side note recruiting Kawhi would have to be the most mystifying job in the NBA because like he shows no emotion at any point I mean I don't know what you do like people no you've had people write in and be like he's got to go out with Drake like nothing we've seen from Kawhi indicates that he would have a good night out on the town with Drake I don't know you you text you text Drake and you say can we get an Uncle Dennis name drop that's what you do like I I guess in your next album Drake do you want to lock yourself in a basement with Kawhi for two weeks this is what he does does every offseason please like can you just shout out new balance three times in the same song <laughs> whatever we could do to make uncle dennis happy it's tough um next question anthony is devin booker just tim hardaway jr with better pr hey here's another guy you were wrong about before the season I- devin booker how you feeling on that one <laughs> still very very right about devin booker he's just going we might have to get him out of phoenix though god it's rough up there um or down there wherever the hell phoenix is peter if you redrafted the two- 2017 class today how long would it be until De'Aaron Fox comes off the board? Um, I'm going to look closer at this, but I would say that the Lakers would probably choose Donovan Mitchell over De'Aaron Fox. What do you think? It's really tough. Are you redrafting today or you're redrafting in 2007? Redrafting today, let's say that. Today? I think based on the based on Donovan Mitchell's standing among today's like current All-Stars, I think they would take him second. I personally, he, he if would, I were drafting, yeah. I might take Fox. It's it's a conversation. I mean, I think if you're LeBron, the fact that Mitchell's a couple years older, a little bit more refined, showed that he could do it in the postseason and maybe could give you a lot of what Kyrie gave LeBron in Cleveland, yeah. would make it probably a slam dunk for Mitchell, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, moving on. Um, and then, by the way, so I think if we were to continue to tease this out, I think that Fox would would probably land fourth to the suns and that would be a good suns team you know wait so who are well, you having who are you having third though i was thinking about this earlier would it be I think, lowry or? i think probably lowry i think the celtics if they couldn't have tatum would have to sort of go for best available um and or most trade value is really what they would be drafting at that point um but how long till markel goes 15? I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't know. It's not great. It's not great. Isn't that the most intriguing question? You don't want to talk about that? Yeah, I'm good. Um, 
Nelson says, if the All-Star game were structured like the baseball All-Star game, where every team needs its own representative, who would be the worst player on an NBA All-Star team? Let's eliminate players with long-term injuries. So that means no Porzingis, no Levert, no Kevin Love. What do you think, Ben? I love this question. Um, I mean, my first inclination was to go to the Bulls and the Hawks, right? Because I, I assume that we're not saying Devin Booker's a long-term injury guy because he's been mostly healthy. So he'd probably be the Suns representative, and he's, yeah. he's okay. He's built for the All-Star game. He's great. Yeah, he, he <laughs> he's okay. Um, so I think the answer winds up being like Zach Levine or Trey Young, two of your favorite players. I mean, I guess no, you could go, no, 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 you could no. go Cleveland, and it's, you know, maybe what, Here's the thing. Colin Sexton? Because um, well, Kevin Love's not under consideration. Whether Colin Sexton qualifies as the correct answer here depends on how much you trust his numbers. I don't really trust his numbers whatsoever. I also haven't you? been watching Cavs games, yeah. so I don't really know. Um, so maybe Colin Sexton is a good answer. Troy, what about Tristan Thompson? Um, He's averaging a big twelve and twelve right now. <laughs> you know, do do the dirty work at All Star. Maybe the the. Atlanta nomination is off base though, because we also got a question from Abdul asking about John Collins, who's been oh. awesome so far in the couple weeks he's had healthy this year. I think he's legitimately good. So we'll take the Hawks out of the conversation. For me, I think the answer though has to be either the Knicks or the Nets. And the Nets, they would send D'Angelo if they can't send Karis Levert. And look, you know me. I like D'Angelo Russell. I'm rooting for him. But he has some moments where you're just like, what the hell are you doing? You might be the most selfish basketball Wait, player I've ever seen. Did you say moments or months? Yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, he's, he's, he's getting his numbers, but he's still, they're just like really rough possessions mixed in there. Uh, there was one at the end of the game. I forget who they were playing. It was over the weekend. But he, like, he just has t- tough stretches. But the Knicks, I think, like, I don't I mean, would they be sending Trey Burke, Alonzo Trier? No, it'd be Tim Hardaway. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or Enos Cantor. But, I mean, you compare those guys to Zach Levine. Like, I don't think that that's a slam dunk. Yeah. Well, I, mean, you I compare, think the Bulls you, you compare Wendell Carter, though. His numbers aren't – I mean, like, I think he's a better player than Zach Levine. But if we're saying for all – are we saying fans are voting for this? How deep are we getting into this? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, look, I would love it if they did this at some point. They They should do it. I mean, it is kind of a scary question on these tanking teams, like who's your best player? Um, because the answer is often nobody. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what would be really fun about it. Um, the, the problem, I thought about this when we first got the email. The problem is then you can't really have teams with multiple all-stars because you end up having rosters that are like 30 deep. Oh, the problem is Zach Levine would be going to the all-star game. <laughs> you no, know, but that would be fun. I support that side of it. Um I don't know. We'll, we'll see. The uh, Let's do one more question and then hit podium real quick. Um, Nick says, no, this is another player tanking question. This one is about <laughs> Ben Simmons. Uh, so let's do a different Ben Simmons question. Ryan says, which team says no in a Ben Simmons, Luka Doncic trade proposal? What would these teams look like if they made the swap both now and going forward? I think we need to double back on the Ben Simmons tanking theory because that was a very inspired <laughs> thought. But to answer this question, um, I really think if you're Dallas and you're looking at, I mean, as Rob Mahoney reported in his little Luka Doncic piece, you're looking at years of scouting they put into getting him. His 
acclimation here really couldn't have gone better rather than, you know, the first couple of weeks were a little bit rocky teammates. Maybe they didn't totally buy into him, but at this point he's been great in late game situations, hit some big shots, shown the moxie, you know, it's the natural transition from Dirk to Luca. You need to have that league ball, hand, uh, lead ball handler to make your other players like Barnes and Jordan kind of fit into their roles and, and be better. Yeah. I don't see how you would trade that for virtually anybody, let alone a guy in Simmons who just doesn't shoot at all. I mean, I feel like if you're comparing those two players, the biggest hole either one of those guys has is Simmons's lack of shooting. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that means that Luka has a higher ceiling than Simmons. I don't know if that means he's a better overall player right now than Simmons, but I do think it, it makes him a more bankable asset, especially because you've got two extra years to have him on his contract uh, on the rookie deal before you really have to pay him. So I think Dallas says no to that trade. Yeah. Um, can I say something before I answer here? Uh-oh, I'm worried. <laughs> I just want to say... You're way off base on both these no, players. No, no. And so this is right in your sweet spot to say some really regrettable stuff. I still believe that I will be proven right on Luka Doncic. That he is not going to be an all-NBA level player for most of his career, if, if ever. However, it is absolutely hilarious how wrong I look right now. Because the, the performance against the Rockets was just... I mean, I was watching as it as it happened live, and the way he took over that game was really, really impressive. Do you know what it reminded me of? Remember when I came on here just scorching the Blazers for the Nurkic trade, and then Nurkic had Nurk fever <laughs> yes. for like two straight months? And it was just like- That you, was great. You just had to eat it every single night. He's putting up like 40s and 20s. Dude, like, what, what they are you were ready to, to build like a 100-foot Yusuf Nurkic statue in Portland. So that is your best hope here, that we're just doing Doncic fever. Yeah, and you know, I don't really care whether we, we are or aren't, but I just want to say, like watching him take over that game was awesome. Um, See, you're coming back around. A little bit, yeah. I don't, I'm not rooting for him to fail. And so if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I can live with that. Um but it's happened before. I think, yeah, not about Ben Simmons, <laughs> um, but I think that you're right that the Mavs would not do that deal. Um, well, would Philly do it? That's, I don't, that's a I more know. interesting so question, though. I right? don't think they would. I would love to see Doncic in a situation where he was not asked to be the best player, because I think that gives him a much better chance at success. Um, and watching him and Embiid and Jimmy Butler would be wild um and three pretty big egos too so that would be interesting the ben simmons side of it well let me ask you this if you were philly at the start of the year and your options were to do the butler trade as you did it or to trade simmons for Doncic, which one would you have done or both i would do both yeah um but i also here's why i would be reluctant i think that philly could do better than luka Doncic if they're trading ben simmons oh i mean he simmons is the type of dude that every team should be inquiring about because like if you don't have other superstars around him who aren't great fits and you're looking to kind of build around somebody else Simmons is perfect. I mean, if I'm just saying if your lineup is Doncic, Redick, Covington, uh, because you didn't trade him, Sarich and Embiid. Yeah. That, that's a squad, dude. I guess so. That's a final squad. Yeah, it's a squad if you think that Luka Doncic is already an all-star, and I'm not sure he is. I'm not ready to go that far, but I think it's just a cleaner fit because he can it is shoot. A fit, and now all of a sudden sure. you have his stretch with him and Embiid. And you could do a lot with those two guys. What do you think about the Simmons side of it, though? Because to me, I've thought about this. I mean, if you're trading Anthony Davis 
and Philly were to ever put Ben Simmons on the table, I think that's a better return than you're going to get from Boston or L.A. I mean, that's another all-NBA guy that you can build the next decade around. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that would I would rather have Simmons than Ingram, as I said right? two years ago, and you've been the other direction, and I think maybe now you're ready to come back to the good side of that. <laughs> maybe? Uh, maybe. Yeah, look, I, I am not a huge Simmons fan, but I can at least acknowledge that I think his value is depressed in Philly, and and he has a much higher ceiling somewhere else. I would rather have Simmons than Jalen Brown, for sure. And that's the be- that's the best <laughs> no piece question. coming back from Boston, right? Yeah, and I mean, depend if the Kings keep winning, that's the best Boston can offer. I think Boston would probably then have to turn around and and throw Jason Tatum in the deal. And Tatum versus Simmons is a really interesting question if you're New Orleans. I think you'd probably go Tatum in that one. That's tricky because what does Tatum look like if he's not playing? I mean, I guess Holiday and Tatum would be an interesting pairing, but then the question is like, how long is Drew going to be able to be that good, right? Like, yeah, I do think Tatum is at least somewhat dependent on his lead guard um, to to sort of reach his full potential. Yeah, um, I mean, you can't really see a scenario where he's like the the point forward, can you? No, I, I, I'm with you there too. I think Tatum's ceiling is is pretty hard to kind of figure out because. He, he has moments where you're like, this is the next wing to own the NBA. And then he has moments where he kind of looks like someone who would be better off being a rich man's East Coast version of Chris Middleton um, and yet thinks he's Kobe and ends up looking closer to like Rudy Gay. If I had to trade Anthony Davis and I had to pick either Tatum or Simmons, I would take Simmons back. Yeah, I think Simmons is the safer bet. Um, let's put it that way. All of which is to say, like, if the Sixers ever do decide that they want to trade Simmons, there are going to be some really interesting options out there. I also think he's a pretty clean fit with how Gentry wants to play in terms of just like getting up and down. Like, if well, you he's if you a could clean ha- fit with Drew too. If you could, yeah, that's that's definitely true. I mean, if you wanted to have the fastest team in the league, you know, and that's sort of like what the Pelicans were trying to do for a while. Yeah. Then you just have Simmons and you just say go nuts, like average a triple double, you know, get your Westbrook on, just go out and do everything you want to do. And the reason it wouldn't happen is because Anthony Davis will probably signal to the Sixers and say, "Look, I'm not going to resign there. I don't want to spend the next five years playing in Embiid's shadow after spending the last eight years in New Orleans." Correct? Yeah. If I was if I was Rich Paul, I would rather yeah, have Anthony Davis. That. <laughs> I would rather have Anthony Davis in LA than Philly, no question. Yeah. But we can dream. And it is an interesting hypothetical. I think long story short, both teams say no to a Ben Simmons Luka Doncic trade. Um but it does speak to how crazy the Doncic phenomenon has gotten. I, I, I think Philly might say yes. I, I just mostly because of the two year gap, because now you're you're extending Ooh, your cycle out yeah, a yeah. little bit longer. That's and true. and also because of his three point shooting ability and and now that you already have Jimmy if he's going to be a lead ball handler it helps to have the spacing off of him. Oh man. I think Philly might say yes. I know it would say, I'm sure there's some Sixers fans who would just be pulling their hair out to hear that. I think that they it would be very very hard to turn that down. It would be so much fun to watch that team. Um but hey He's not going anywhere. I think the Hats real, off to the Mavs fans. Here's the real moral of the story. Can you come up with a deal where the Mavs would actually say yes to Luka trade? That's pretty tough. It's tough unless you're taking like Kevin Durant. Um, and they would probably say no to that too. They, that's, they might. That's I how mean, much they love Luka Unless you right have now. like a top five guy who's locked in for three or four years. Yeah. I mean, look, 
I'm genuinely happy for everybody down there and Kirk, um, my guy. This is the part where you try to get everybody off your back by like saying nice compliments <laughs> to them. <laughs> Stop emailing I me, please. <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely the the Luca Industrial Complex drives me crazy on Twitter, but the Mavs fans deserve this. They have had some really bleak teams in recent years, and they have been all in on Doncic, and they've been proven right. So, congrats to them. Um, podium, real quick. Ian says, Ben, did you see Free Solo? And is there any athletic achievement, in your opinion, that even comes close? Climbing 3,200 feet, which is about four and a half Golden Gate bridges stacked on top of each other, in the middle of the Yosemite, in the middle of, not the Yosemite, Yosemite, in less than four hours, what basketball comp could there possibly be? Dunking from half court, Warriors going 82 and 0 in the regular season, 16 and 0 in the playoffs for 10 straight seasons, while only playing three players at a time. Um, got pretty hyper- hyperbolic at the end there. No, it, I have it, no it, idea what he's talking about. It didn't, about. Andrew. This is this is completely true. So I have not seen Free Solo, but I have, upon the recommendation of an Open Floor Globe uh, emailer. Watch the movie called Valley Uprising, which is basically the history of rock climbing in Yosemite. Uh-huh. And just the short version is the the rocks in Yosemite are basically sheer. Like they're hundreds of feet, but they're just like straight up and down, right? Yeah. And so slowly but surely, these guys adapted these rock climbing techniques. So first it started with like basically like jamming these little like metal pegs into the wall. You're sort of building a ladder up the surface, right? Uh-huh. Well... Each successive generation got a little bit crazier and crazier. And so now you have these guys who are basically acting like monkeys. And they're just climbing (laughs) up the side of the the wall with no restraints, no harnesses, basically nothing. They're just using their hands. And then the only equipment that they use is a bag around their waist filled with chalk. Yeah. So they can make sure that they have their grip. Because if they don't have their grip, they fall to their death. It's like game over. There's not like a reset button on the video game controller. You just die. Okay. So it's pretty intense. <laughs> yes. So the guys who are doing this are completely nuts. And I'll say watching that movie, I only watched it on the iPad. I don't think I could handle it watching it on a TV. Uh-huh. I had to close my eyes at times. It was like that death defying and crazy. And to compare what this guy is doing is very similar to like the Warriors three-point shooting versus like where three-point shooting was in 1980 when they first brought it out. It's like, hey, there's a line there. We could stand behind that and shoot. No, we don't want to. Throw the ball into McHale, right? Yeah. So I don't really know. I mean, 82-0 and 0 is, is a pretty good comp because there's nothing more that you can do. Like there's no better way to do it than to just free climb it straight up, right? The only thing you can do is try to do it faster. Yeah. So like 82 and 0 is a pretty good comparison because if a team did go 82 and 0 to beat that, you'd have to do it and have a higher point differential. You know what I mean? Like you'd have to like, <laughs> sort of. like you've already reached. You kind of lost me, but I love no, it. What I'm saying is you've already reached perfection. Like that's, there's no better method. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. now it's just about who can do it more dominant. Yeah. Right. So I, I think that's the best comparison that Ian made. But well, look, I would like to recommend this thing, but I don't want anyone to watch this movie based on our recommendation and then decide to go be free climbers because there's like a 75% chance they're going to die falling off a cliff. Yes, and congrats to Mr. Free Solo for not dying. Um, yes, it's amazing. My takeaway from this email was that I have endured a lot of different nature rants from you <laughs> over the years. But I'm glad that you're not like rock climbing guy and like an adrenaline junkie. I think your your move is to just go to cool, serene places and take photos and just kind of stand there. 
I don't know how I would deal with it if you were calling me up being like, yeah, I'm at base camp, like 12,000 feet above elevation or above sea level or whatever. Um, I'm glad you're not that guy because I've never really clicked with those people. Those people are tough and they, you know, ego is yeah. a big part of, of what they're trying to do. They're a tough hang. Yeah, ex- exactly. You don't want to go and, and you get into this competition of like who climb more or whatever else. It's it's more about the familial atmosphere to me, the national parks, right? So get your khaki shorts on, get <laughs> yeah. your new balances, Just go hang out, get a nice <laughs> camera, take a few pictures. You we're know? hiking, but we're yes. not really killing ourselves out there. We're exactly. Just having a nice day. Experiencing nature. Exactly. I can respect that. Um, all right, last question. Morgan says, hey guys, just fr- finished last Friday's episode. Here's my quick question. How old is Andrew really? At the end of the podcast, he said he was going to go purchase the instrumental score album for He Got Game. <laughs> That just sounds like such an old man sentence. Right off the top, I hope Andrew isn't still purchasing music because there are subscription music services like Spotify and Apple Music that are much cheaper. What's more, I have not heard someone say they were going to purchase anything in a long time, let alone rush to purchase the instrumental score of an 80s movie. Um, and that it's is a 90s movie. That is where I really felt old. <laughs> so when he threw 80s movie in there... And he finishes off by saying, it's actually the first time I've ever questioned if Ben may be younger than Andrew, which I feel like is what 40-year-old Andrew has been trying to hide all these years. Younger Uh, at heart, I would say. (laughs) Do you use Spotify? No. Okay, interesting. Me neither. Uh, Maybe we are like fully washed. No, I do purchase music. Yeah, that's the only way I listen to music. So I think this is... Us confronting our obsolescence here. <laughs> How else am I going to get this Scott Travis? That's what I, you know what? I, I've never bought Scott Travis, but uh, I'm not, I don't trust technology in general. I don't trust Spotify and I want to have like the hard copy music on my phone when I'm running because I don't want to be streaming while I'm out in the world. You know what I mean? Uh, I Yeah, sort of. But I just want to brag. A couple people did purchase He Got Games Classical Soundtrack based on my great. recommendation. It's it's awesome writing music, <laughs> it right? It tugs the heartstrings, man. See? You so, know? Morgan, you missed the point, okay? Go stream or download. <laughs> yeah, whatever it is or, the kids do. Or rip. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you do on Na- Napster or whatever it is. You know what I'm going to try doing? get the music, okay? I'm going to start playing that score instead of announcers as I watch League Pass. That's a great... Because it's such an awesome soundtrack to any kind of basketball. That's a great idea. I would actually be... Our podcast would be better if we just had it in the background. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I Start asked to finish. I asked Lou, our producer, if we could intersperse music recently, and he said no. We have no rights to any music. No, you so. spent all your money on the Lambo. We, <laughs> exactly. we got no, we had no budget left for the podcast production. Oh, uh, all right, that's a good place to end, Ben. Let's go to the Lakers game. I will be back with you on Thursday. Yeah. So, fair warning to our listeners. On Thursday's episode, there's about a 97% chance that if the Lakers win tonight, Andrew will not only reverse from they're going to be a lottery team, he will have them in the finals <laughs> and probably winning the title after he watches LeBron in person once. So I'm just- still right about Doncic, and I'm pretty sure I'm still going to be right about the Lakers, but I'm excited for tonight's game. Tonight, we'll see. Tonight's game is going to be great. Pretend the, to care about LeBron and Wade. In the meantime, we've got some plugs, okay? Ben.Golver on Instagram, number one. Open Floor Globe's been coming through hard. I put a picture of Andrew and his Lamborghini on my Instagram story, so guys, check that out. Also, openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com for all your questions, comments, concerns, uh, Laker championship formulas, trade ideas for the Bulls, and everything else. We want to hear those. Don't forget also... Uh, rate and review on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. Find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. 
tap five stars give us a christmas present it's all we're asking for right andrew it's not all we're asking for because they also need to follow your newsletter or sign up or whatever oh i didn't even <laughs> i didn't even pay him to say that yeah go, new era twice the plugs these days go at, at ben goliver on my twitter find the newsletter sign up it'll take you 30 seconds you will get a weekly blast of nba information and you know what else andrew speaking of our producer lou he wanted people to know radio.com slash open floor. You can listen to us. You can stream us. You can do Spotify like things. Yeah, whatever the kids are doing. Whatever the kids are doing, <laughs> they can do it at radio.com slash floor. Okay, Andrew, until later this week, I will talk to you. All right, man. Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.